Welcome to Coaching with Catherine, the podcast on defining success on your own terms. My name is Catherine Lavenhagen. Every Friday, you will get a new podcast on how to make life mean more and build a life you're proud to live. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Coaching with Catherine. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you to David Hall. David is president and founder of 13 companies. Having come from extreme poverty, surviving death twice, and having fought against all odds, David has learned that success in life is about persistence, growth, and serving others. David's core philosophy is, you can have everything you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. Let's dive in now and talk to David about how he defines success and how he's created success on his own terms. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Okay, so what I would like to start with um, is a question, and that is, how do you define success? Ooh, that's a good question. So defining success for me, is it's really the ability to do the things that I want to do while not having to worry about the things that I have to do. Let me kind of explain that just a little bit. So I, you know, I look at a lot of people all day long and they, you know, they, they go to work, they, they get up, they go to work, they work all day long, they come home, they park it in front of the TV and they go to bed, they get up, they go to work again. And, and all of this is for this concept of paying bills, right? And so success for me is really to have enough uh, set up and enough coming in so that I don't really have to worry about my bills I can worry more about doing things for other people and, and being able to interact and grow with others. I can tell like that you're really like passionate about this, just in the way that you like your energy totally shifted when I asked you that question. So I'm curious, like what is that passion within you that, you know, what's coming out? You know, Catherine, I found that one of the things that drives me in life is, is, making an impact in others. And so if, if I'm going to be a leader in, in my field, if I'm going to be a leader in my family, if I'm going to be a leader in an organization, in the community, in the world, then I have to be able to impact others. And mm. for that, I have to love others. I have to care for others. I have to care about others. And, and so part of that is, is really that passion. I've always had a, a, a natural caretaker uh, portion of me. I think as I've gotten older, it's really grown that caretaker portion, you know, stand up for what is right, you know, talk about the things that are wrong. And when you see something going on that needs to change, stand up and say something. So it, really for me, it started that throughout my life. And so at, at a young age, I saw lots of things that weren't right. And I've seen o over the many years that I've spent on this earth, I've seen lots of things that weren't right. And I've always felt like, okay, if you need to, if you need to say something, say something. I can remember as even as a teenager now, I wasn't quite as, as chill as I am now, you know, but I was at, at 16 years old, I was coming out of Walmart one day and I saw a guy that um, he was roughing up uh, his girlfriend or wife or whatever it was. And, and, you know, he smacked her across the face and, you know, and pushed her up against the car and, and, and this, that, and the other. And I thought, I, I literally thought to myself, I have two choices. I can ignore it and, and walk on or I can go over there and say something with a risk, right? So either way, I feel like that's a risk. So if I say nothing and walk on, then there's a risk that she could be injured further, something else bad could happen. But if I say something, then I have that risk of my own bodily injury, right? So 
you know, I, I chose the second. I chose to, you know, to walk over there and say something. So here I am. This guy had to be in his, you know, late 30s, early 40s. I'm 16 years old, and I'm walking over there. You know, hey, buddy, keep your hands off this woman. And I don't care who she is, what she did, what she said. At the end of the day, you got no right to strike a woman, right? That's how my mother raised me. And so it's that if you see something, say something. Alan. And I see that a lot in life in general with people. It's they have things that hold them back and they don't realize it. Or maybe they realize it and they just don't know what to do about it. Or maybe they know what to do about it and they're just not doing anything about it because they don't have the vision or the dreams or the hope to do something about it. And that's where, you know, it's people like us. We have to step in and to be able to say, hey, look, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. What you did doesn't define you. What you want to do can define you. You have to take action to make it happen. In order to make change in your life, you have to make different decisions. And, and I made that decision at a young age. I can, the earliest I can remember making a decision to, to make a change in my life was eight years old. Wow. Yeah. And tell me a little about that decision. So growing up, um, I, was, I was born into extreme poverty. Um, we lived in 14 different houses by the time I was seven. Um, we were homeless for a little while and, and, you know, we just had, had lots of issues. My mother was a single mother at the time. I didn't really have, um, much interaction with my father at that particular point. So, you know, we, we were very poor. I can remember, you know, times without shoes. There were plenty of times that we didn't have food. We would share one of those little cans of potted meat. You used to be able to get them for a dime. They're like 49 cents now. <laughs> But, but, you know, we would share, my older brother and I would share one of those cans of potted meat. That would be our meal for the day. You know, and, you know back in the day, you know, there was this such thing as too poor for food stamps, right? And so I can remember at, at eight years old, I can remember this thought process of there has to be something different. And I would see, because I was in school at that point, I would see other kids that had, you know, they had nice clothes. I can, you know, I go back and I look at some of my class pictures that, I actually wore the same shirt year after year after year because I didn't have more. Right. And so it was, it was that, but then you see these kids that have all of the stuff and it's like, okay, well, well, why are they this way? And why am I this way? And, and I thought I can either gripe about it or I can do something about it. And so at eight years old, I actually, we, uh, we had moved into a house and we had actually gotten some, uh, some stability at that point. And we moved into a house kind of out in the country. So it was about a half a mile to a little country store. And I had found a few little And this is in Alabama, This is actually in Tennessee. In Tennessee, okay. I was born and raised in southern middle Tennessee. And so we, um, I found a few little pennies and decided to walk down to this little country store and thought, well, maybe I can get something with my pennies and, and, and eat. And so here I am, an eight-year-old kid, walking – down the street in the country to this little store. Now I get to the store and there's really nothing that, that is there that I could buy with a few pennies, but I ended up buying some sticks and I can remember them like they were, like it was yesterday. They don't make them anymore. Otherwise I would buy it today just for the memory. It's called fortune <laughs> gum, right? Fortune what? Fortune gum. Fortune gum. A okay. little stick of gum in an orange wrapper that when you open it up, it had a fortune inside of it. Kind of like yep. And, and I can remember reading, um, eating a few pieces of that gum and reading some of those fortunes and just thinking, wow, this, you know, this stuff is amazing. So the next day I took a few pieces of the gum to school and I had a couple of kids there that wanted to buy it from me. And they offered me a nickel. Now I paid a penny for this stuff. They offered me a nickel for this gum. It was so amazing. 
So I thought, okay, I'm going to take these nickels and I'm going to go buy more gum. So I started doing that. Well, supply and demand kicked in. Next thing you know, a nickel turns into a dime, a dime turns into a quarter, and I'm making bank at this point. At eight years old. Yeah. You have your own business going. Yes, selling gum in school. It's back before they would kick you out of school or whatever. Yeah, for selling. Yeah. And and so I did that. Actually, I did that for a while. And I think reading those fortunes on the little gum, along with the little lady who owned the store, talking to me every time I would go in, because I went in actually just about every day. And so talking about her, reading the little fortunes and all that, I started getting this picture of something bigger in my life. Mm. And it was uh, around the same time I was introduced to Zig Ziglar now at that particular point, but introduced to his stuff. So the first quote I can ever remember hearing is you can have everything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. And that stuck from with me since I was eight years old. So this this idea of, you know, even though I was making sales and selling the gum, I was giving people joy. Kids were mm-hmm. more. And so well, it's amazing. I'm going to interrupt you for a second because I just am really blown away by how like open and receptive, like and like in, intuitive and smart you were at such a young age. Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know about intuitive or smart at that particular point. I think it was more hungry and and really had nothing else to do. But you know, it, it. I think it really did start with that. You know, when you when you grow up and you have nothing, you don't really have anything to show for you. I mean, we didn't have, we couldn't afford Ataris and Nintendos, and you know, we really couldn't afford when I was young that kind of stuff. I mean, my toy was a stick out in the yard. You know, you, you go out and you find something to play with, you find something to do, you come back in when it's dark. That's how I was raised, you know. And, and so I had to entertain myself. But what that did, and, and all the only sibling I had at that point was an older brother who was three years older than me. And so there really wasn't a, a great, a huge bond and, and connection at that point between us because we are polar opposites in our personality. And so... With that being said, I spent a lot of time very young by myself, just kind of lost in my own thoughts of, you know, and, and dreams and visions of what could be and how to grow it. And, yeah, I think that's something that's lost on kids these days is the, the idea of imagination, right? So Yeah, because it sounds like at such a young age, you, you wanted more, like you were hungry for something more than what you were experiencing. I think my physical hunger you know, translated for me into an emotional and a spiritual and and just a growth hunger altogether. You know, I use that. So many people today have entitlement mentality. They have this mentality of I'm owed this because I am who I am or or they have a mentality of hopelessness. Well, I was raised this way, so this is how I'm going to be. In fact, I, I mentioned that my older brother and I are, are polar opposites. That's the way he was for the majority of his life. Well, I'm going to live in poverty because that's all I've ever known. We're, we're not going to have anything because we've never had anything. And so, you know, fortunately, really for me, even working on him over the years, and he's grown into that idea of more now, and he's really began to blossom. But as far as I was concerned, I, you know, I had a choice in front of me. It's which direction do I go? There's a fork in the road. And so I can either go with uh, this is why I'm going to always be this way, or I can use this as a springboard to how to not continue to be this way. Yeah. Well, and even going back to what 
you were talking about before this about speaking up when you feel like there's injustice or something's not right. Like what, what you're describing, it's like, you're like, you're like a go-getter. You're, you're going to like take that path. That's going to move you forward where, you know, there's also a path to like, just not do anything at all. You know, I, um, not to get preachy or anything like that, but I am, I am a man of faith. I'm a Christian. Um, and I believe that my Bible is the rule book for my life that, you know, it gives me my black and white and what's right, what's wrong. It gives me the rules to live by. I wasn't always that way. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've really just latched onto that. It's given me that, that hope and that opportunity on that. But, you know, one of the things that is a constant theme within it that, I've really lived my entire life by is always keep moving forward. You, you can't stop. And uh, I've thought about it this way is that one of the laws of the universe is, is growth and death, right? So if you're not growing, you're dying. And, and I mean, it, it's a pretty simple concept. Uh, so if I think about it that way, I have to keep moving forward or I'm going to start dying. And there's lots more to accomplish. I don't want my life to die. I don't want, you know, I don't want to die myself. Not that I'm afraid of physical death, but, you know, the emotional death, the spiritual death, the, the, the death that I think many people live every day is something that they live because they stop moving forward. You know, I've had a lot of junk in my life. There's been a lot of things that have happened to me. I've died twice and, you know, I've, um, it was uh, fortunate enough to be brought back from that. I've went through some, some very serious situations that were, were very difficult, you know, emotionally and psychologically and physically and, and all of that. And so with all of that, the one thing that I've always said to myself is just, you know, just one more foot, just put one more foot in front of another and and keep moving forward because as long as I keep moving forward, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to die and I'm not going to move backward. So I think that one of the things I hear people often say is that, you know, they say, David, it seems like I'm taking, you know, one step forward, two steps back. And, and I look at that and I think about that. And I think sometimes, you know, maybe that's on purpose. You're not necessarily taking two steps back. Maybe it's two steps in a different direction. And you just don't realize it. Maybe that's a good indicator that your life's not going the direction that it needs to go. And you need to really do some serious soul searching and, and think about what, what is your purpose in life? What were you built for? What are you here to do? Um, and I, uh, oftentimes we'll get people ask me, you know, David, you, you feel like you seem like you, you have a pretty solid purpose in your life. And, and I do, but I feel like we all have a solid purpose in our lives and they're all related. It's very simple. Our purpose is to make an impact in other people. And so, you know, it, it, it's that simple. It doesn't have to get more complicated than that. And if through my experiences in my life and the things that I've been through, if I can use those things instead of as something to keep me negative, as something to keep me from moving forward, if I can use those as a way to be able to connect with someone else to say, hey, look, I understand. Been there, done that. Right? I know what you're going through. I know how tough it is. Let me show you how I got through it. Yeah. Now I, can I love it. Yeah, I love what you're saying. Like, there's so many things I love about it. But um, the two things that are standing out is like, um, if you're not moving forward, that you're actually moving back or you're dying. Like, it's not like you're just not changing at all. Like you are actually not 
not growing. And the other thing I love about what you um, are talking about is just you've been life happens in these different circumstances have happened to you and you've chosen to use them as um, opportunities to like live your purpose more fully. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I was, um, my wife now is my second marriage and you know, my first marriage for many years, I was married for 15 years and my first marriage for many years was, was, was very good. And it was a series of unfortunate events that, um, led to the demise in a sense of my first marriage. I, you know, I, I can take part of the blame for that. Um, she takes part of the blame for that and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, one of the things is that I, I look back at that and I say, okay, well, before I decided to get married again, my question was, is what could I have done different? I can't control her. I can't control my ex, but I can control me. So what should I have done differently? And, you know, one of the things I, I, I know, you know, when I was in the midst of it, one of the things that I kept wanting to do is blame, 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 blame. You know, she was an alcoholic and an addict and, you know, and blame, 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 blame. And, and so, you know, I wanted to do all of that. But at the end of the day, I have to accept a part of the responsibility myself. And I think that's one of those things that oftentimes we miss is we spend so much time focused on who do I need to blame that we forget to look into ourselves and say, what should I have done differently? It's called self-reflection, right? I, I like to think about uh, the the story of Adam and Eve, right? So you here here you got here you got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and and they're they're going through this garden, and everything's great. Got fruit all over the place, and little animals to pet and play with, and prance and frolic, and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, there's you know here's God that says, "Hey, don't eat from this tree, right? Stay away from this tree." And so. So this serpent comes into the garden and, and, and serpent says to Eve, hey, you know, God's got something he don't want you to know. Eat this fruit. And so he, he convinces her to eat the fruit, right? She goes to Adam and says to Adam, says, hey, Adam, why don't you, uh, why don't you go ahead and have a bite of this too? I had a bite of this pretty good stuff, you know. This is really good stuff. So I have a bite of this stuff. So they ate into the, they ate into the fruit. And here, and here comes God and says, hey, did you eat this fruit? And, you know, Adam Adam says, uh, he says, well, God, you know, let me tell you about this woman. <laughs> God goes to Eve and, and says to Eve, says, well, did you eat the fruit? Well, God, let me tell you about that serpent. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on, right? So so here you go. Here you got, we, we started it out with blame. Right? Yeah. It, and I feel like even in that particular story, as that's how we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, if Adam had stood up and said, you know what? I, I shouldn't have done it. Matter of fact, I should have reprimanded her for doing it. I shouldn't have done it. I, you know, I, I let me take the blame for this because I'm supposed to be the leader, right? Yeah. Everything would have been different. And I feel like in life today for everyone, when we have things that happen to us, there's always going to be a portion of that that is going to be our learning opportunity. A portion of that's going to be our responsibility. And until we stand up and say, hey, what's my fault in this? Let me own that. I can't own everybody else's issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can own my own issues. And until I own that, I can't make a change in my life, nor can I make a change in anyone else's life. Well, and it sounds like you've, you've been doing that from a very young age, from eight years old. You've been taking responsibility for yourself and what you do have control over and 
moving yourself forward. So I guess I would ask you, when you think about like how you started by defining success, how do you think that that like orientation has impacted, you know, where you are today? You know, when I sit back and think about it, um, today I own 13 companies. And if you look at my companies, if you were to look at the list of them, all of them are focused in one way, shape or form on helping somebody. And so a lot of the business coaching and things that I do are is formed around the idea of if I can make an impact on other leaders, they can make an impact on followers. And through that, I can make a much larger impact. But the, you know, the marketing company that I own is, you know, if I can make an impact for businesses, then they can make an impact for their clients and their customers. And so I tend to be very selective about who, you know, who we do business with in a lot of areas because I want, I want to find the people that believe the same way. I firmly believe, um, Something most of my clients hear me quote all the time is Proverbs fifteen twenty two: Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And so, you know, if if I have a goal, if I have a dream, if I have all that kind of stuff, then I know I have to know I need help. I can't do it alone. And so, it's that's something that I realized at a very young age is I can't I can't accomplish anything great alone. I have to have the help of other people. And so that's also something that I've tried to teach other people for years and years and years is that at the end of the day, if you're going to achieve anything great in your life, you can't do it alone. It's by design. We're designed to be solitary. We're designed to be, you know, we're, we're designed to be, uh, work with others, right? So uh, that really has led me a lot. Plus the fact that, you know, when I was smaller, I really didn't have, you know, we moved around a lot. So I didn't have a lot of friends and this, that, and the other. Um, oddly enough, Catherine, it is one of those things. It's very difficult for me to make personal friendships because of, of the way I've grown up. A lot of people look at me and say, Dave is very outgoing and, you know, I'm sure he makes lots of friends easy and, and this kind of stuff. But personally, I find it very difficult to form deep relationships because of a lot of the stuff that, that I've been through. But it's something that I realized years ago. So I work on it every day. Because yeah, it sounds like relationships are, are really important to you. Very. And just from our connection, you know, knowing how, how important your family is to you and what you were just talking about, like how important it is to help, like your purpose is to make an impact in other people's lives and also do that with other people. Yeah. You know, if, if I can, if I can make an impact in a way that makes a difference at a time that makes a difference doing something that makes a difference with other people who make a difference, then overall I can have a global impact. Right. But if I take any one of those things out, then, you know, the, the impact that I make is going to be much, much, much smaller. You know, one of my, um, one of my thought processes in this is that I always have to be looking for, you know, who needs, who needs something, who needs help. You know, I, um, Last week, we just closed on a new building. And so we, we bought another building and you know, we're going to be started construction last week and this, that, and the other. And so I had a guy come in today uh, over there before, uh, before our call. And you know, the guy's talking to me and this, that, and the other. And I thought, most of the time when we look at this guy, I mean, this guy runs, he runs phone lines and runs internet lines and this, that, and the other. And, and through, the course of our conversation, we get to talking about the fact that, you know, he had a stroke last year. We get to talking about, you know, he's a, 
he he like me is on his second marriage and uh, you know things have gotten a lot different so you know we really connected and bonded uh, through that and i feel like that there's no real coincidences in life that you know people are placed in front of us so we can make an impact and when we have when we have an opportunity to connect with someone else then we should take advantage of that opportunity you know who's going to need something that you can provide and you also never know who is going to be able to provide something that you need. Yeah. You're, you're open. It, like what I'm hearing is you're, you're always looking for opportunity to help people and also open to like how that relationship may evolve in a way that you, that surprises you. Definitely. Um, it's kind of funny because my absolute best friend, he actually works for me. He's my director of operations. And so I had no idea just thinking about it. I, I really had no idea we would become friends at all, let alone, you know, have the kind of relationship that we have over time. Because, because again, we, we are opposites in our personality. I'm very driven, very motivated, very you know, task oriented. I'm people oriented too, but I'm very task oriented, get stuff done. Give me something to get done. I'm going to need it done. He on the flip side is very, very people oriented. So it's uh, it's one of those things that oftentimes I'll tell new clients, you know, God gave me lots of gifts. One of the gifts he did not give me is the ability to sugarcoat things. I don't do well at all in that. If you need somebody to sugarcoat things, you're going to have to talk to Kevin. Right. <laughs> so I can tell him how it is, and he's the one that can hug it out, right? Yeah. So, Make them feel good. Yeah, and, and so I, I think I realized, um, I realized some years back that, you know, oftentimes what we do is we go out looking for other people that are like us and we feel like we're going to have good connections with other people that are like us. But the reality of it is, is that if all I do is focus on finding other people out there that are like me, then all I'm going to have is a bunch of me. Well, I can't see, I can't see what happens. I mean, there's blind spots in life, right? That I can't see, but you know, my personality can't see. So I, I require relationships with other types of people in order to be able to see those blind spots, blind spots and protect me from the things that happen. And I think we all need that. John Maxwell calls it the law of the inner circle. And so we all have to have that inner circle of people that we can be very vulnerable with, the, that we can be very open and honest with. And, and those people that can see our weaknesses and see our deficiencies and help us shore up those areas so that we're, we're not constantly walking around life with a, a chip on our shoulder. Because, you know, we're, we're getting knocked off our block. Yeah. You have people that can be a sounding board and can kind of call you out when they see you um, getting into a, a messy situation or something that, like you said, blind spots. I love that. Like it ways that you can't see. Absolutely. You know, it, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, I was thinking, going back to the idea of reflection, I, I've learned over the years to do a lot of reflection, you know, think about, okay, what happened? Why did it happen? And then what could I have done differently? That's one of my, my two questions I ask myself, Catherine, on a regular basis or what's next? And then what could I have done differently? And, you know, in thinking about that, you know, one of the things often I get uh, people in my office is for counseling right? Oddly enough, I'm a business coach. I'm a business consultant. That's mainly what I personally do, even though I own other companies that do other things. But I get people that come in and they want marriage counseling. I'm like, why do you want marriage counseling from me? But in many cases, it's because I deal with a lot of 
you know, businesses that the, both the husband and the wife in one way, shape or form work in the business and it creates conflict, right? And so one of the little exercises that we do, and it's just based on something that I learned about all relationships, not just marriages, but it's all relationships is, you know, you, you've heard of the book, you know, the, the men are from Mars, the women are from Neil. And so it's that idea that men and women are opposites, right? But we also have that saying that opposites attract. Why? Why do opposites attract? That's the real question. It's because it's necessary, right? So what we do, and it's funny because I love getting to tell the, the couples and, and stuff this, is what we do is we spend our entire dating experience lying to one another, right? Oh, I love this, and I love this, and I, you, know, you don't. You, you, it's okay. Maybe you're, you hate it completely. You just don't want to hurt their feelings. And so you, you lie to one another, lie to one another. Then we get together, and then we, we eventually we get married, and then we, we don't realize that, Okay, we've been lying to one another for this period of time about who we really are, what we really like, and all that kind of stuff. And so then we end up getting married, and we wonder why it is that in year two of marriage, a lot of the a, a lot of counselors will tell you it's the worst year, right? It's because you know that the first year is bliss, the second year is you're really starting to get fed up with you know some of their little stuff. You're like, wait a minute, yeah. who are you? are not the person I married. Who are you? I don't yeah. know. Right, and so. Um, one of the little exercises that I do with couples as I'm explaining this is I have them stand back to back, right? And so when they stand back to back, I have them stick out their arms. And I say, wiggle your fingers. Can you see your fingers wiggling in your peripheral vision? And sure, they can. I said, now stretch your arms back a little further. Now can you see your fingers? No, but your spouse can. That's the idea of the blind spot, right? We all have them in all areas of life. We always have blind spots. It's one of the reasons why opposites attract. Opposites attract because it's necessary because we have to have relationships with people who are unlike us at all in order to be able to see those things that we cannot see. Relationships are, are super important to success because of this. And so for me, I've surrounded myself with a bunch of people who are very different from me. It's because, and, I, and the first thing that I tell them when I add somebody into my inner circle is I don't want a yes man. If you see something, if I say something that's wrong, call me out on it. If you see something that's better than what I'm saying, call me out on it. If you need to smack me around a little bit, smack me around a little bit. Because at the end of the day, I know me, you know, and and because I know me so well, I know that I've got lots of issues and challenges, and I've got lots of baggage and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's only it's only through those issues and challenges and baggage that I can really help people. But if I internalize that into me, then I won't be able to use it to help people. So I need others to bring it out. And I have to work well in my relationships to do so. I'm just appreciating how much wisdom you have. And, you know, I, I felt like this was evident when we first connected and just hearing your story and, you know, hearing about the success that you have now and where you came from. And I'm curious, like we, we talked a little bit about when you were eight years old and then we've been talking about, um, who you are now, which is obviously really successful and very wise. I'm, I'm curious, like the bridge between the two, what was that journey like for sure. you? Um, so at eight years old, I was selling bubble gum and then I transitioned from selling bubble gum to uh, baseball cards, oddly enough, um, to try to make some money and, and do some stuff and grow. 
Uh, when I was 14 years old, though, Catherine, I really started my first business. Um, it was called Nifty Designs. It was a graphic design firm. And, you know, I, I started as that, you know, that kid that's out of his room. I'd saved up enough money from selling baseball cards and stuff to be able to buy a computer and started doing some design work. And by the time I was 16, I actually had employees and was was making really more money than, than my mother. And she had remarried at that particular point, so my stepfather. And so was was making good money, but it, it really was that about just make people happy, grow people, connect with people and all that. And so we did work for all over the place. So here I am, 14 years old. I can't legally sign a contract, but nobody knows how old I am. I've always looked older than what I am. <laughs> And, and so, so that being said, you know, I, I, here I am, you know, signing contracts with large companies, and, you know, that they, they aren't legally binding, but it was a lot of fun. It was a good ride. And when I was 17 years old, I, uh, I did some work for a guy and, you know, he comes into my office and he's, uh, you know, we're, we're talking and we're doing all kinds of stuff. And I had an office, I had actually rented a space at that particular point right off the square in the town where I lived. And, so he comes in my office and ordered all this stuff and it took about six weeks for us to get it all done. At the end of the order, I delivered everything to him and, and on his way out the door, he chucks it all in the trash. Whoa, wait a minute. Why are you chucking my stuff in the trash? He said, well, David, I came to realize this. He said, over the course of our discussions, I realized that what my problem was, was I was not that I needed a rebranding. I didn't need a new logo. I didn't need all that kind of stuff. He said, you really showed me what my challenges were in my business and what I needed to do to solve them. He said, thank you for that. I paid you for that. He said, you can keep the design work. I don't think I'll need it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That actually started, that was the start of my second company, uh, Worldwide Marketing at that point. So, Did you so have like awareness before that? Like, when you were 14, 16, and you were having some success, did you have awareness like, wow, I'm really good at this? Or there's something about me that's like, you know, different than, than no, other people. I just really thought it was how it was supposed to be. Mm. You, know, you put, I've always thought that I've, I've always, you know, if you put your mind to something, you, you can achieve anything you can believe. Right. And so that's always been part of my thought process. And, you know, even as a, a young, young kid was a daredevil in that, you know, not, I, I'm not afraid to take risks and, you know, obviously calculated risks. Uh, don't want don't ever take blind risks, but I'm not afraid to do that kind of stuff. And I'm not afraid to step out and learn and grow and, you know, hear people tell me when I'm horrible and, you know, I'm not afraid of that kind of stuff. Cause like I said, I mean, I, when you come from nothing, what, what else is there? It's like, there's nothing to lose. It almost sounds like, like you're willing to like expose yourself because you don't have, it's like all you can do is move forward. Like the only, like going back is already bad or. Yeah. I think so many times people, what people do is they have this tendency to rely on their, uh, their ego. They put too much weight on their ego. And so in, in this idea of putting weight and stuff on their ego, what happens is, is, is they'll look back at things or they'll overanalyze things in the wrong way or they'll do whatever. It's because they don't want to take that ego hit. You know, they don't want to take a risk because, well, what if I fail? Well, what if you don't? Right. That's one. But the second thing is, is if you never take a risk, uh, 
I have believed, and I don't, I don't remember when I started thinking about this, but it's, it's as long as I can remember, is there's no such thing as success without sacrifice. There's no such thing as reward without risk. And there's no such thing as success without failure. So if I'm afraid to fail, then it's okay to be afraid. It's just not okay to not take action. So I have to take action. And, and even if I do fail, I mean, I failed at plenty of things in my life. I have, I have tried lots of things that just didn't work, and, and it's okay. Next? And so I, I, this next step, what's the next step? Just keep moving forward. And so that's it. You can't be afraid of it. Embrace it. What, what, what's allowed you to not, to like remain that way? Because I can see how you were like that from the beginning when you didn't have anything. But as you've accumulated things and become successful, how have you been able to maintain that willingness to like be vulnerable and fail? I think that uh, I really feel Catherine, like a lot of people over time, they, what they do is they allow an ego to build, um, you know, where, regardless of where you start, they allow an ego to build and that ego is what keeps us in fear often. And it's one of those things. It's, it's funny because uh, I will often tell people, look, don't tell me that it makes my head big. I don't want an ego. I don't, I don't care about an ego. I don't, you know, I mean, um, one of the things that actually scares me and just to be very vulnerable with you real quick is it's it scared. I love accolades. I love, you know, awards. I love public recognition. I love that kind of stuff. And that terrifies me. And it terrifies me because, it, because of the fact that I, I really understand that I could have a massive ego um, if I allowed myself to. Um, but it's also why it is that I surround myself with the right kind of people and constantly focus on those relationships to make sure that I keep myself in check. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, any, any person when they get out of check can, will cause damage to themselves. So it sounds like you've really like put in place a support system that keeps you in check so that you, yeah, you don't fall victim to getting an ego and, letting it get to your head. Definitely. Definitely. And so, you know, I mean, Kevin is part of my inner circle. Uh, my wife is part of my inner circle. You know, I, so I have, I have several members within my inner circle that, you know, my wife has absolutely no problems whatsoever telling me where I'm messing up <laughs> where something's not right. So <laughs> I can, I can trust her for that. And I trust her opinion. That's the, yeah. other, that's the other point is that I think a lot of times we tend to discount people's opinions. I trust her opinion because I know she has my best interest in heart. No, he has my best interest in heart. So, you know, if Kevin smacks me around a little bit and says, David, that's just not right, then I'm going to listen to that because I don't question his integrity. I don't mm -hmm. question loyalty. I don't, I don't question his commitment to the relationship that we have back and forth together. And, and fortunately, he allows me to be the same thing in his life. Yeah, you have, it sounds like you have a really strong partnership right. with him and with your wife. Right. And you get a lot of counsel from them. Absolutely. And I try to have that, you know, anybody that I put within my inner circle, I try to keep at least four or five people at all times with people that, uh, that I can trust. And a lot of them, like, you know, my wife has her experience in her. She has no experience in business whatsoever. She's, uh, you know, she's, her experience is healthcare. So, you know, Kevin, uh, Kevin actually, before Kevin came to work for me, he was a welder for the federal government. 
hero experience in business. Everything he knows today, I've taught him, and, and I've grown him through that kind of stuff. But he has learned a lot in that period of time. But his experience in life has been significantly different than mine. So, you know, so for that, I know that his personality is different than mine. My wife's personality is different than mine. You know, everyone else's personality are different than mine. So I have to be able to trust. As long as I can trust them, then I can trust their opinion. Yeah, you you have like such strong relationships. That's really I'm like through all of our conversation, I'm just it just keeps coming back to relationship, relationships with people. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that um you know, you know we'll be instituting in the new building um, at some point relatively soon, but in in our current offices, we actually all of our doors are glass. And so everybody thought I was crazy when we when we put in glass doors because I actually spent a lot of money taking down nice expensive doors to put in glass doors that were actually cheaper than, than what we had. And said, so why, David? Why you know why would you put in glass doors? I said I said, let me ask you this question. Do you ever want your integrity questioned? No. Okay, well what happens behind closed doors? And all of this came about because I had a friend um, a number of years ago that was he was in a meeting. I mean it, it was just a simple meeting and there wasn't anything you know, it wasn't like he was cheating on his wife or anything like that. But um, the lady that he was in the meeting with didn't get ultimately out of the meeting, didn't get what she wanted. And so she came back and said that he did some things and really destroyed his reputation. Um, and so I thought to myself, well, if I make glass doors where anyone can see in, obviously you can't hear what we're talking about necessarily, but but where anyone can see in, then you you can't question that right and so it's hard for inappropriate things to happen and i think one of the things that i've learned in life is to live my life that way you know don't keep secrets don't don't hold things back stay vulnerable you know make sure that you that you do that because you know every every great person that we see really in history that has had a big downfall um, has come because of secrets that they kept or things that they did that they shouldn't have done because of secrets that they kept. And, and, and so good quality relationships with people that are there to support you and grow you and do all of that will really keep you from having those kind of issues. I don't want that. I mean, I've, I've worked very hard for a whole lot of years to provide for my family and provide for my staff and uh, to provide for all of those people. And I don't want, you know, idiot me. It's, it's, um, uh, my pastor and friend Chris Hodges says all the time, "We're only two steps from stupid at any given point, right?" And so it's one of those thought processes. I want to do whatever I can to avoid those steps, but that also yeah. it also keeps me moving forward instead of having to constantly focus on what's happened. Well, tra transparency is the word that's coming to mind. Right. Like you really value transparency in your relationships. I do vulnerability and transparency yeah and on it and it sounds like honesty too right. right i think the world would be a better place overall if, if all of us just did that well and it sounds like it's really served you well um throughout your life like really honoring those things it's i it sounds like that's kind of been a theme or the underlying throughout your life is just really that is a guy has been guiding you yeah Definitely. I mean, I look at my core values and the, the three overriding core values that have um, expressed themselves in my life more than anything is loyalty, integrity, and focus on growth. 
So, you know, by, by doing those things on a constant and consistent basis, then that's helped me get from where I was, which was nothing, where I am today, which is, you know, a wonderful blessing that I owe to, you know, the glory of God. I owe to, uh, you know, a beautiful family. I owe to my staff. I couldn't, I couldn't be sitting here right now if I didn't have wonderful staff. I'm working from home today. My wife had a baby last week. <laughs> so, so, you know, they, I, I get the, the joy of being able to work from home for the next couple of weeks, but I, I also get the joy of being able to work from home a couple of days a week every week because I have amazing people that, that do amazing things. You know, we, we're all in this together. Tell them all the time. It's not my company. It's your company. I may be at the head of, of the organization, but it's not mine. It's yours. It's your future. You grow it how, you know, grow it. Do whatever you want with it. You want, you want to grow it so that your kids have jobs guaranteed when they get old enough to work? Sure. What is that like? I mean, just hearing you say that, it's like the impact it's having on me is just like what you've created in this company and having these people that, um, that I get the sense really value working for you and really enjoy their work. And like, I guess I'm curious, like, what is that like to like, know you've, you've been a part of creating that. You know, my, my staff and, and all that is very much like my family. Um, you know, I, I feel this, I feel this overwhelming sometimes sense of burden. Um, but it's in a good way not a bad way, but this overwhelming sense of burden when I, when I walk into the office and I think about I'm responsible if your family eats next week or not. Right. So it's a, it's a glorious burden, but it, it, it's a burden. And so I feel like as a, as a business owner myself, I think if, if a lot of other business owners felt the same way, then the face of the face of employment today would look quite different. You know, just that that responsibility that I have for making sure that your family eats, your family has a roof over their head, they have clothes on their back, you know, making sure that they have that kind of stuff. I find that a, a huge, a, a huge and glorious burden, like I said, responsibility. Um, and so, you know, in that, I, I treat them like family. We have fun together. You know, we I mean, we spend you think about it. I mean, if you if you work with somebody eight to ten hours a day. You're spending as much time with them as you are with your actual family. Family, if not more. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's plenty of times. I mean, I know like like Jordan, for example, who's over our marketing division. Um, you know, he's a young guy. And, you know, simple to please. I can go and smoke meat. And and this dude will, I mean, he'll do anything. Matter of fact, he's coming to the <laughs> building. He, I told him that I would smoke chicken legs tomorrow if he would come over the weekend and help me out. <laughs> Dude, for chicken, your smoked chicken legs, I will do anything. <laughs> you know, that's just that it's a it's a testimony in a sense to the types of relationships that we can build with yeah. people. That you know, I mean, he comes, you know, he oddly enough does a lot of work off the clock because he believes in what we do. Yeah, we have a lot of people that do that stuff. You know, because they believe. Yeah, and then the impact that that has on the world, like they have this passion and excitement, enthusiasm for their work. And then they're interacting with your clients and, and people. And then that's impacting the relationship that they have with them. Yeah. It's like a ripple effect. Absolutely. Then that's my goal. That's my goal. Make an impact, make a small impact in somebody's life that they can use to make an impact in somebody else's, somebody life. else's life. Yeah. So I'm curious, like how has 
your intuition or gut sense, like how has that been a factor in your journey? Uh, very much so. In fact, um, I, for years and years and years, I've lived by my gut. You know, I, I, I trust it. I, um, I think I have spent a lot of time also developing my intuition. Um, you know, experience helps develop intuition. And so as a young man, I didn't really trust my gut all that much. And it really made the journey a lot harder, but I also didn't have as much experience as I have now. So, you know, it seems like things are a lot easier these days than they used to be. But a lot of it is, you know, comes with that experience, that trust in the gut and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I do, I trust my gut greatly but it's not my only decision-making factor. And so I, I typically what I do, my decision-making process goes, um, I, I will go with my gut first, see what, what my, is my gut telling me, and then I will run it by other people that have different strengths. And um, then I will go from there. Matter of fact, um, the initial part of my decision-making process, and, and it's actually very simple. Um, so I will go core values. So I will test it against my three core values. If it, if it violates any of those three, it's immediate answer no. Okay. Um, then I will then I will have a reflective moment to see what my gut's telling me about it, and then I will go and ask others who have strengths in those particular areas, um, and ask them about it to see if they can confirm or not what my gut's telling me, and then go from there. I'm making my decision. It sounds like it's a long process, but it's a matter of minutes. Yeah, it seems it seems like it would be really short, like a short process. And I'm also curious, like you talked about how experience has helped you to grow this confidence. Like, is there anything else that's helped you with like trusting your gut? Yeah, I mean, um, trying and failing, trying and failing, trying. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things that I can't remember a time. Catherine, and I don't, I don't know if that just makes me weird or if I just don't remember. I can't really remember a time that I was afraid of failure. I can remember a time that I didn't have the self-confidence that I have now. Matter of fact, I was in, uh, I was in seventh grade and uh, junior high, seventh grade. And I had been the kid who, you know, even though I was selling gum and all that kind of stuff at that particular point, you know, part of it was to get money. Part of it was to get people to like me because I didn't feel very likable. And so I was the kid that would walk through the halls, you know, head down, staring at the tile, counting the tiles, the way to class and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, one day something inside me just said, hey, stand up straight, hold your head up, speak straight and, and move on, take control over life. I don't I don't really know what it was. I, you know, I can always say it was for me. I believe it was the voice of God talking to me that, you know, just said, hey, there's there's more for you out there. And from that particular point on, I have now, you know. It doesn't mean that I haven't ever messed up or made mistakes. I mean, I've made plenty of mistakes, but if I make a mistake, I fess up to the mistake and, you know, and move on. And and that part of that is where I've learned, you know, I've made some, I have made some horrible mistakes. I've made some glorious mistakes, you know, over the years. I mean, some of the mistakes that I've made have actually led to very large profit. Profit. Yeah. yeah. I was going to uh, say it probably is like a failure. What looks like a failure turns into a success because of the way that you um, look at obstacles or look right. at failure. And it, it can only do that. It can only do that with a reflection. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the one key thing that I think most people miss in failure. 
you you learn so much less from success than you do from failure, right? And so I'm okay with failure because of that. It's a to me, it's a learning opportunity to help figure out okay, what should I do differently next time? I, I do everything I can to avoid massive failure. That's why I, t- I say I take calculated risks. I don't just take plain old risks. I take calculated risks. But you know, at the end of the day, if you don't take a risk, there's no such thing as reward without risk, right? And so you have to risk failure in, in order to do so, but it's okay. Um, because, you know, another thing that I learned throughout life is, you know, oftentimes we go around, we, we say, well, what will people think of me? And we don't, what we don't realize is people really aren't thinking of me. They're not. They don't care. So what, if you, what if you succeed? What if you fail? People really don't care for the most part. Yeah, your spouse might. But outside of that, you know, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think you, Catherine, go around all day long thinking about what, what's David going to do today? How, how well is he going to? No. He's yeah. About that, right. And so, well, yeah, I mean, and even if they like, even if they have an opinion, they're going to have an opinion either way. If you, if you succeed or fail. Yes. And the more successful you get, the more opinions that you will have that you're doing something wrong. Right. So I, I had to learn that the hard way. And the more successful I've gotten over the years, the more people I come with a handout. And then the more people who want to tell me how to do it better. Yeah. Right? So, okay. Well, if you were doing it so well, why are you not successful? Yeah, only listen to qualified advice. Right? Yeah. Like your inner, I love the inner circle metaphor. Like you have, like I'm imagining you and then you have your inner circle and then you have all these other people and like, they can't even like, really penetrate you because you're you know you have like such a solid foundation in yourself and your faith and then you have this inner circle that surrounds you and protects you yeah i think it, um, and, and i kind of got it oddly enough i mean it's it's very biblical you know like i said not to preach but you know jesus had his inner circle most of the time when people think about the disciples they think about the 12 disciples but actually jesus had three within his inner circle and then there was a 12, which was the next circle out. And then there was 72, which was the next circle out. And then there were more after that. And so uh, all of that dictated how how vulnerable he was with each of these groups, right? And so how deep he let them in and, and all of that. How much did they really know about him and you know his fears and, and his dreams and his goals and, and all that kind of stuff? And so uh, that's one of those areas where I look at and you have to you have to have those people. I have people within my my initial inner circle, but I also have other people that I talk to on a regular basis. Yeah. So there's, it's like different layers and different, depending on what the issue is. Like you said, if it's a business issue, you may not go to your wife because she doesn't have that expertise. You would go to somebody else who has more experience in that area. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm noticing the time and we are getting close to having to wrap up. Um, and I, I guess I'm curious, like what's next for you? Um, you know, what's funny is, uh, we bought this building and I bought it much larger than what we need. And so we're going to end up renting out space and don't tell anyone I told you this. <laughs> okay. We're being recorded. I don't care. But yeah, uh, you might want to, you might want to <laughs> not say it right now. <laughs> so, uh, no, I don't, I don't care. 
the you know the idea for me is is that you know we're going to be moving our corporate offices into this particular building but we're going to be renting out extra space and my goal is to find people that i can put in the extra space that we can make an impact able to make a larger impact not just not just globally but really really in our local community too because one of the things that i noticed um, about two years ago uh, we we were doing a planning session and we were looking at client base and so on and so forth and more than 99% of my client base is not in my local area. We have clients all over the world, but um, oddly enough, I'm one of those guys who's not quite as well known in my local area as I am throughout lots of other places. And so, you know, not that I am looking for the recognition or anything, but I am looking for that impact. And so, you know, we have, um, as we've looked over the last few years, one of the things that we've done is we support a lot of charities and so um, we're we're going to refocus a, a large portion of that support into our local area and then uh, work with other people that we can get within our building and, and hopefully get complementary businesses to band together in a sense and make a much larger impact overall. I love that. It almost sounds like you've been your impact has been like, yeah, worldwide and you're realizing there's so much right there locally that you haven't even tapped into in terms of making an impact. Absolutely. You know, I focus, um, I, I've always tried to focus on building better business leaders. And so I'm going to continue to do that definitely. But, you know, my approach, you know, I hate to say, you know, shotgun versus sniper rifle, but you know, in a sense for years, it's been really been a shotgun approach. You know, let me get clients in, in a variety of locations, blasting the net wide to be able to make an impact. But, now, I noticed a couple of years ago that our local area has been suffering a little bit, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a portion of that focus that we have and put it more into the local area to to try to help around here too. And that's um, Birmingham, right? It is. It's uh, Birmingham, Alabama. You know, um, one of the scriptures says that a man that fails to take care of his household is worse than an unbeliever, and you know, oddly enough, most of the time when we think about household, what we think about is we think about, you know, spouse and any kids that we have living under our roof. But the, the original Greek word was oikos, like the yogurt. And so that, that word really doesn't mean household like we think of it. It means sphere of influence. And so we have to, so a man that fails to take care of those within his sphere of influence is worse than an unbeliever. And so that's really my focus for the next little while is is look at those that are within my sphere of influence and see who do I need to help specifically before I look at expanding my sphere much more. I love that. And I love how there seems to be a commonality with the metaphor of being like a circle. <laughs> it's like sphere, circle of influence. Does that, does the circle like, is that meaningful to you, the metaphor of a circle? Absolutely. You know, the the whole concept I heard it I heard years ago, the idea behind the fact that a wedding band is round is the fact that it has no beginning and no end. Wow. So, you know, the circle, the sphere idea is it's that it has no beginning and it really has no end. It just is. And so it's it's one of those interesting things. And like I said, I'll give you my last Bible reference for the day. But do you know the only time that retirement is mentioned in the Bible um, is in one part where it's talking about the Levites. And, and they say, you know, at the age of 50, you retire. 
But what you do is you're you're going in and helping all of the younger people. So you don't really ever retire fully. You're going to mentor others, right? And so I look at that as a success factor. When when I can get to the point in my life where I don't have to worry about myself, I don't have to worry about my family so much. We're provided for, but I can spend my time and my effort mentoring and growing others. Now I have really I have really achieved something. Now I have a taste of success. So it, to me, Catherine, it's not just about success because success it, to me is is. Going back to your original question, success to me is all about you and your family, but my focus is not on success. It's about significance, which is the impact of others beyond yourself. Once you've had a taste of significance, success will never be enough again. Wow. That's really powerful. And and I guess coming back to how you answered the question of what success means to you, and it's doing more of what you want I get the sense that what you want to be doing is really significance, like making a significant impact on, on people and expanding that reach as much as possible. When life grows beyond you, that's when life really begins. And that's, that to me is significance. And, and that's, you know, that's where, that's where the most people's concept of success, you know, they put dollars to it or they put stuff to it or whatever. I don't care about stuff. I'm not a materialistic person. Um, I own a lot of stuff, but I really don't care. I, I could be one of those guys that could live in one of the tiny houses and would be okay with Yeah, that. or your wife, maybe. But, yeah. So, you know. Especially we, with we, a newborn. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> you, you look at that concept that, that most of us tend to define success based on, you know, either materialistic concepts or selfish concepts. And when you translate from selfish to selfless, is really when you begin to translate from success to significance. Yeah, because it becomes about service. Right. Yeah. And I believe that's what we were all created for. I love it. And you're, the impact that this conversation has had on me is just like, I'm so inspired by you and uplifted and energized. And you're, you're like a bright light in the world. Thank you. So thank you for sharing your time um, and being of service. And is there anything else that you want to say? No, just go out and, and find somebody to do something great for. Every day is a great day when you can do something for someone who can't do something back for you. Yeah, I, I love that. And I feel very inspired to do that. So I'm wishing the same for you and have a great rest of your afternoon. Okay, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to Coaching with Catherine. If you like this podcast, please show us your support by leaving a review in iTunes or Google Play. It helps us so much and helps others to find the show. You can also visit me at www.coachingwithcatherine, spelled K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E.com or on Facebook to learn more about me and the work I do. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.